Good homecoming morning, Covenant College. Uh, you may be seated. <laughs> Wonderful to see you all here this morning. Uh, students, although you didn't have a choice, um, <laughs> and alumni and family and parents and friends, uh, we're delighted that you're here with us this morning. And a special welcome to a couple classes who are celebrating uh, big anniversaries this weekend. The class of 1976, celebrating 40 years. And the class of 1966, those are the folks who spent 50% of their time in St. Louis, 50% on Lookout Mountain, so the 50-50 class is celebrating 50 years. Uh, welcome class of 1966. Uh, we, uh, we are very glad that you guys are here. Uh, just as a reminder, you're supposed to be on the steps after chapel for your uh, class photo. Um, before we begin this morning, uh, will you please join me in prayer? Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful this morning uh, for your faithfulness, Father, for your faithfulness uh, to this institution, uh, Covenant College, uh, for your faithfulness uh, to all of those of us who have been associated with this college, your faithfulness uh, worked out through uh, the people of Covenant College. Uh, your faithfulness worked out through other means beyond this college. We are grateful for the many ways in which you have blessed us and cared for us. We thank you for faculty and staff who have given themselves to serve in this place. We're thankful for students, uh, for those in the early years who were bold enough to come to a young startup college, um, committed enough to give themselves to this place. We're thankful for students who have committed themselves to this college um, here and now. Uh, we're grateful, God, for trustees and for parents and for donors who have sacrificed for the sake of the mission of this institution. We ask that you would continue uh, to bless this place, to bless this college and this community. Father, we pray that as you have been faithful to us, uh, you would make us faithful to you. And we ask in the name of the one who is the sure uh, sign and seal of your faithfulness, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So my first privilege uh, this morning is to uh, recognize our Alumni of the Year. Uh, we have three categories in which we give this award. Uh, the first is Alumni Volunteer or Alumni Volunteers of the Year. This award is presented to an alumnus or an alumna uh, who's devoted to serving the Covenant College community through giving sacrificially of their time, energy, talents, and resources to represent and advance the mission of Covenant College um, and so I'd like to ask these folks to come up to the front and join me on stage. This year's Alumni Volunteers of the Year are Jessica and Nathan Newman. So uh, Jessica majored in business and moved to Washington, D.C. shortly after graduating in 2008. And in her first job there, she worked for the Bush administration as special assistant to the White House. From there, she moved on to work for the Office of the Secretary of Transportation. And subsequently, she worked for former Congressman Frank Wolf from Virginia. 
and former Senator, and for Re Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Uh, she currently serves, oh I, yeah, some Kentucky people got excited about that. Uh, she currently serves as Special Assistant to the Executive Vice President at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. Uh, Nathan was an IDS major with concentrations in missions, comdev, and French uh, here at Covenant and graduated in 2010 or 11, depending on how you count it. Uh, he's currently completing his Master of Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary's Washington, D.C. campus. Uh, he also serves as a pastoral intern at McLean Presbyterian Church in McLean, Virginia, and as an officer in the United States Air Force Chaplain Corps. So this past summer, uh, he was providing pastoral care to 1,169 basic cadet trainees. Uh, on completion of seminary in May of 2017, Nathan will be ordained in the PCA um, he also previously served as a recruiter and a fundraiser uh, at Covenant here for four years, so some of you may have been recruited by Nathan Newman. Uh, the Newmans live on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where they serve Covenant College very well from afar. Um, they're faithful supporters of the college through their time, their talents, their financial support, um, often serving as advocates for Covenant with future students and with other alumni and prospective donors, and often organizing and hosting events in the D.C. area. Um, Jess and Nathan are proud Scots, and so we're delighted to honor their service by naming them our Volunteers of the Year. Would you please join me in here? Our second award is the Young Alumnus or Young Alumna of the Year, which is presented to an alumnus or an alumna who graduated within the past 10 years and who exemplifies the mission of Covenant College and his or her church, vocation, and community. Um, and this year's Young Alumna of the Year Award goes to a member of the class of 2013, Anna Hollage. So originally from Bowie, Maryland, Anna graduated from Covenant with a degree in community development and minors in economics and biblical and theological studies. Uh, following graduation, she served a year with AmeriCorps as a literacy tutor in the Washington, D.C. area. And in 2014, she joined the Memphis Teacher Residency Program, earning her master's in urban education. Uh, she currently teaches kindergarten at Cornerstone Prep Denver, which is a second-year turnaround Title I school located in inner-city Memphis. Um, she seeks in her work to validate the dignity and the imago dei that is inherent in her students, their families, and their communities. Her passion for serving her city, her friends, her church, and her students is irrepressible and evident to all who know her. So would you please join me in congratulating our 2016 Young Alumna of the Year, Anna Hollage. Last but not least, uh, Alumnus or Alumna of the Year. Uh, this award is presented to an alumnus or an alumna who exemplifies the mission of Covenant College and his or her church, location, and community. Um, and this year's award recipient to whom we are thrilled to give this award is Mrs. Joanna Taft.
So let me tell you a little bit about Mrs. Taft. Uh, Joanna graduated from Covenant in 1981. She's the founder and director of the Harrison Center for the Arts, one of the largest and most influential arts organizations in the Indianapolis area. This center provides affordable studio space for artists around the city, allowing them to flourish while enhancing both the community and the culture of the city. Joanna was a leader in the founding of the Oaks Academy and Heron High School, two of the most highly regarded and accredited charter schools in Indiana. Further, she and her husband Bill have been at the forefront of the development of Redeemer Presbyterian Church and a wide range of community development or initiatives in Indianapolis. She is regularly recruited for Covenant College, um, both our students and has also recruited our graduates as interns and employees uh, and has often invited students and alumni into her home, showing them abundant hospitality. Uh, she and her family have promoted the idea of porching throughout, Indiana, or throughout Indianapolis, which encourages people to use their porches as a place to engage with the city around them and build community so influential that we now porch on the north porch of Carter Hall. Uh, Covenant College has been blessed to have Joanna serve as an advisor to the Board of Trustees since 2009. She and her husband, Bill, have three children, Rebecca, class of 14, Susanna, class of 16, and Michael, who is a junior. Uh, would you please join me in congratulating our 2016 Alumna of the Year, Joanna Taft. correct a very important typo. Joanna graduated in 1985, not 1981. So that was when she graduated from high school. All right, my second privilege this morning is to introduce our uh, chapel speaker, uh, Reverend, do we call you Reverend still? Reverend Steve Smallman. Uh, Steve Smallman is a member of the class of 1985 and is co-founder and the chief creative officer for 15-4, which is a Baltimore-based strategic creative agency, um, where he leads a creative team that gathers great ideas and shapes them into compelling stories and winning concepts for a variety of clients, some of whom you've probably heard of. Coca-Cola, Under Armour, Black & Decker, Georgetown University, Johns Hopkins University, uh, and the list goes on. Um, if you've seen our recent Carter Hall videos, then you've seen uh, a sample of Steve's good work. Uh, Steve also spent 20 years in full-time community development ministry, uh, most notably with New Song Ministries in the Sandtown neighborhood of Baltimore, um, and he still serves on staff at New Song Community Church. Uh, he earned his BA in English here at Covenant College and later an MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, hence the Reverend title. Um, he and his wife Mary Lutz Smallman, who is also an alum, have been married for 32 years. Both of their sons, Isaiah and Paul, are Covenant grads um, and are in chapel this morning, even though they weren't required to be. In 2009, in recognition of their work in Sandtown, uh, the college honored Steve and Mary with the Alumni of the Year Award. Uh, Steve's a member of the Covenant College Board of Trustees, and it says here, in addition to hanging out with his wife and their friends, um, he plays keyboards in their small community church uh, would you guys please uh, join me in welcoming Reverend Steve Smallman.
Good morning, fellow Scots. It is my high honor to be before you this morning. I love this place. I love this place, and I love God for the critical and foundational role that he assigned to this place in my life uh, for a season beginning in the fall of 1980 when I arrived as a freshman, which in college years makes me about 100 years old. I met my wife Mary here. I formed relationships and found brothers, uh, lifelong friendships, guys that I've walked with now for 35 years of my life. Confronted with Christian intellect and community, I grew a brain and a conscience here. I did amazingly stupid stuff here in this room with my hallmates, things that make for great stories but which shall not be repeated by a member of the board of trustees whilst speaking in chapel. <laughs> I'm very aware that the things that I found here while I was a student, a spouse, lifelong friends, are not guaranteed as part of a covenant education, but they were part of my experience. And so I want you to indulge me for just a few minutes while I think a little theologically about this place. Kim Collins asked me to consider talking about a theology of place. I took that challenge. I think she did this in part because at some board of trustees meetings, she's heard me running my mouth about what I believe is the critical importance of the Carter Hall campaign. We're spending nearly $20 million upgrading a historical building with stuff like roof tiles and windows. Is it worth it? And by the way, on behalf of the Board of Trustees, I want to sincerely thank you all for your willingness. I guess it's not really willingness, like you said, it's you didn't have a choice, but for the most part, your cheerful willingness to live in the middle of a construction zone during your college career. Carter residents, you've had to or will have to relocate your home here during your college career, and I get what that means. My mom was not happy with me the first time at the dining room table at a fall break. I said I couldn't wait to go home, and I was referring to Carter Hall. She was offended. But you're living in the middle of noise and beep, 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 and mess. And I want you to know that it matters. That you are making an investment in future generations of covenant students who, like you and me, will have Carter Hall as a central part of their experience here. Thank you. I believe that everyone in this place, your roommates, your faculty, your staff, your board of trustees, your administration, all are part, they're members of a divinely assembled team you that is playing a role in what God is doing in your life right here, right now, in this place. That being said, how much does God really care about this idea of place? The idea that places matter in our lives. After all, God is a spirit and has not a body like men, if you know the children's catechism. God does not inhabit temples or places built by human hands. And for our part, we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. This world is not our home. So no place, even this place, has 
supremacy in our lives. So how important is it, this place, or for that matter, any of the places that God calls you to inhabit for a season? I want you to consider the fact that in the beginning, the very beginning, when we're first introduced to God in the Scriptures, He is busy constructing a place. An all-powerful, all-sufficient God. He doesn't need anything to complete Him. He's enjoying perfect Trinitarian fellowship. And yet He's building a world where you and I will come into being to know Him and experience Him. God isn't lonely. He isn't looking for something to do because He's bored. But when we join the creation narrative, an all-powerful, supremely creative God is spewing out His creativity everywhere, and He's making it look as easy as breathing. God makes a world full of detail and complexity and adornment color and beauty and molecular structure and magnificence. It's the incomprehensible marriage of amazing form meets perfect function, or in many cases, form for form's sake, beauty for beauty's sake, without any apparent concern for function whatsoever. It's simply the most incredible and exhausting outpouring of creative expression that has ever been. And it's just God being God. In fact, Paul says if you want to understand something about the genius of God, you should look closely at what he's made. You can find out a lot. You don't know everything, but you can learn a lot. So I don't know, does God care about details like roof tiles and windows or a mountaintop campus specifically designed to more perfectly reveal his work and his world to a community of people who are called to live there for a season? I don't know. Look closely at what he's made, and you tell me. God is passionate about places. God creates a world. He gives it to us as a gift. You know the story. We mess it up. So with Eden ruined, God implements a redemption plan. He doubles down on this idea, and he creates a nation called Israel with a promise that they'll have a place that they can call their own. Just as the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, that business of burning bulls and goats on the altar, it's designed to point forward to a more perfect sacrifice. Similarly, the narrative of God delivering His people out of bondage so that they can have a place of their own is designed to point forward. And we watch this painful exhibition of Israel being delivered out of Egypt and then faltering and wandering and sinning and having to be sent into the wilderness for 40 years and then conquering a few people, then getting conquered back and then conquering some more. It's kind of hard to watch. But all so that they can have a dwelling, an inheritance of permanent occupancy, home. That narrative of being delivered from bondage so that they can inherit a place, it's repeated by a guy named Jesus. 
the second Adam, the son of David, born into a place called Bethlehem. For some reason, the scripture thinks it's important that you know the exact spot where the incarnation took place. The Bible thinks it matters that you know he was born and that, that Emmanuel happened in a town called Bethlehem, a place that was of the lineage of Jesus' ancestor, David. And much later, much better than the tent that traveled with pilgriming Israel. Jesus was God who tabernacled among us. God who set his feet on footpaths and in homes, in synagogues, slept in boats, walked around. And what does Jesus say to his disciples in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you. So how can he say that? What gives him the right to make such claims? Well, you know where I'm going with that. He earned that right by going to Golgotha, the place of the skull, another location you're supposed to know about. History debates the precise locations of these sites. I don't know if any of you have been to the Holy Land, but if you have the opportunity, you'll experience the reality that as carefully as tradition and posterity have tried to guard these holy sites and their authenticity, the most critical ones are debated. And so you have the orthodox site of the resurrection of Jesus, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You have the Christian site, the garden tomb. There are all these different sites and people love to build churches on each of them to commemorate and they all debate with each other and they're all convinced that they've got the right spot and some of them actually do. Now, because the precise GPS coordinates of these places are debated, it's tempting for us to think that where they actually are doesn't matter. And let's be honest, to our modern Western minds, they don't. We don't think a lot about these things. We don't care. But I disagree. We may not know the exact spot of the crucifixion. But do you seriously think that the precise GPS coordinates of the crucifixion are unknown by God, the Father? That they're not known or that they don't matter to the Son who endured the shame of the cross? That God doesn't know where the actual tomb is, where the dead Jesus was laying and where he rose up? If you don't think that the exact spot, the soil that absorbed the blood of Christ as he hung dying doesn't matter to a holy God, then I suggest you're wrong. I wonder if you've spent any time thinking about how often God commands Israel to remember the important places in their history. I wonder if you've pondered that your inheritance, your home, is a place being prepared by God and for God to be in community with you. The ascension of Jesus is one of those scenes in Scripture that kind of makes my head explode. Because if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead in the body, and Paul writes, if you don't, 
then why are you wasting your time on anything else? But if you believe Jesus was raised in a body and that he actually ascended into heaven in a body and sits at the right hand of God, then he's somewhere right now. I don't know where that somewhere is, but it's somewhere. And that somewhere is a place that you and I, when we inherit imperishable bodies of our own, will be able to hang out in. Hebrews 11, the great faith hall of fame chapter, talks about the saints who've gone before us. It says it this way. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This city won't need a tabernacle, won't need a temple, a, a God location, because God will be there, the Bible says. But it's a real place. I don't know if the streets are literally paved with gold. Don't go after me on this, but... I'm just not much of a gold guy, so that's never really appealed to me. Uh, gold streets, okay. Or maybe that's just the hyperbolic, apocalyptic literature of Revelation trying to get you to reach and stretch to get your minds around the concept of pure awesomeness. I just know that I want to be there. And I want you to be there. And so, hello. <laughs> so while you're here, I want you to consider this place as a foreshadow of the place. I want you to behold the risen Christ. Repent of your sins. Call on God's mercy. Seek Him for His will and His plan. Suck it all in. Have soaring, boundless hope in Jesus. My fellow Scots, this place is important. This season of your life is not likely to be repeated. I don't assign supremacy to this place. But as it is ordained by God for this season of your life, and as such is set apart by Him for His purpose, it is therefore by definition on some level holy. And so whatever you have to do, first-year students just beginning your journey or seniors about to head off, whatever you have to do to take off your shoes, consider where you're standing. Reflect on what God is saying and doing right now. Do it. And then later, make a habit of returning. Periodically, come back. Set up a secret pile of rocks in the woods somewhere like the Israelites did and then come back and see if it's still there. And if it's not, repair it and set it up again. Do some eco-vandalism. <laughs> and as you go forth, and your generation likes to move around a lot, consider the importance that God has 
assigned to every place where you set your feet. Every job you take on, every community you live in, your churches, and if God so ordains, the places where you marry, the places where you raise your children. Because while I don't claim to understand for a second how it all fits together or exactly what it all means when God has finished putting it together, I'm pretty sure that He understands and I know that it means a lot more than we think it does. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray that you would give us pause to take a moment to consider where we stand, where we walk, this place that you've called us to be in during this season. Bless the investment that these students, that their parents are making, that every member of this community is making in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.